Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable, and that's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back, and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere. I'm not going to really give an indication of where I'm at right now because this topic that I'm going to be discussing is a little sensitive, and I don't want to indicate individuals that I might be sharing about during this time that I'm actually doing this podcast, but... I traveled together with a colleague of mine to attend a conference. I, I very rarely attend conferences, but I'm attending a conference, and there was a speaker, and that speaker shared some things that I feel directly related to the video series that we just did, Chasing Revival. Now, if you have not seen the Chasing Revival series, you don't have to go through the Bible study. There is a Bible study, a 61-day kind of devotional that you can go through as well as a workbook that ties the devotional and the videos together. But if you just want to watch the videos, I would highly recommend it. You can go to ChasingRevival.com. You can also have get access to those videos through BackToJerusalem.com. Or if you have access to Right Now Media or your church has access to Right Now Media, which is this huge library of Bible studies, you can also find it there free of charge uh, if you have a Right Now Media account. So for those that have a Right Now Media account, it's there uh, with that subscription. But I was sitting in this meeting just now and um, – there was a there was a speaker that got up and he began to speak a, a a man that God has obviously used for a considerable number of years. He was an older gentleman needed some help with uh, standing and he got up and the, one of the first things that he said and it was clear that the people that were in the crowd that I was there with at the conference loved him. There was a cheering that was going on, and and he said, you know, I don't have any notes um, while I'm speaking during this time. I'm I, I feel like I'm going to be led by the Spirit. A couple podcasts ago, I was I was talking about working on your craft. It's it's t I often speak without notes. It happens all the time, but. There sometimes I feel that when people say that I'm I'm I'm, I'm being led by the Spirit. Um, it can be <laughs> – this is going to sound really bad, but I've, I've been around long enough in, in ministry and, and been exposed long enough that I'm sure many of you might be able to identify with this. I think that sometimes in charismatic circles, I feel free to say so because I come from charismatic circles. Um, in charismatic circles, being led by the Spirit is, um, is, is code language for not being prepared. It's, it's, it's code for, I was too lazy to prepare for this time together with you. So I'm just going to get up here and, and hope that something good comes out. And what often happens in those kind of scenarios, not always, sometimes you can have someone who has prepared their spirit 
in prayer and in the word and walking and talking with God. And they may not have an exact uh, number of notes to refer to and read off of. They're not going from a teleprompter, but there's something that bubbles up in their spirit where they have been prepared. And that lack of preparedness, I think, also becomes very apparent. And the reason why is that Christians use a lot of fluff words. They say a lot of words like, you know, saith the Lord and, and praise God and who, who, who can hear what I'm saying, you know, and, and kind of uh, push for those amens. And they, they rattle off a lot of things that could basically be condensed over an hour time frame, can be condensed into about a five-minute sermon. So they take five minutes of material and excruciatingly spread it out over an hour. I've only got five minutes of material, but I promise I'll make it feel like an hour kind of thing. So when this gentleman began to speak and he said that, you know, he didn't have notes, he didn't really have to tell us that he didn't have notes. It, it became extremely evident. But here was the thing. There was one scripture that he pointed to during his time. And that scripture, I feel, was something that that a young Christian, as some of the Christians that were there at the conference might have been, Christians that look up to such a speaker as him, because he spoke, this, this gentleman spoke with authority, he, he's, he, he spoke with confidence, um, spoke in a way that, you know, I'm not always so comfortable with when, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever been into a, a, a charismatic service where commands are given, where people are told to run here, run there, come here, come now. God wants you to stop. Don't wait. Get up here. Stand there. Don't move. Listen to me. You know, those kind of uh, commands sometimes come, I feel, out of certain personalities. And there are individuals who respond to those personalities. So don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not putting down any kind of way of delivering the gospel. I'm, I'm treading very lightly here because I don't have notes. I'm being led by the Spirit. Um, I, I'm trying to tread very lightly here because I don't want to discourage anybody that might have been blessed by a ministry that operates in the way that I'm about to describe and am describing. But I do want to share an instance about a message that came out of this sermon that I feel could be damaging. And if you've heard a message like this, I want to encourage you that not all words that come out of the mouth of a godly man are godly words. Does that make sense? We are vessels. We are broken vessels. And in those broken vessels, sometimes... We deliver God's word, but there are parts of it that our earthly vessels pollute before it leaves our minds, hearts, and mouths. I hope that makes sense. My pastor, Bishop Williams, was a, uh, a really um, a huge father figure for me in my life. And I can remember very strongly a night that a visiting evangelist came and they spoke at our church. And the, 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 
that evangelist began to talk about Christians being um, possessed by Satan. That they were Christians, they were sanctified, uh, they were saved, but they were possessed, demon-possessed, demon possession. And so my question was, how is it possible for a Christian who is following after God that has the light of Christ living inside of them also be manifested by demons? also have demons residing in the same place. Doesn't it say that light and darkness cannot reside in the same place? Wouldn't the light of Christ chase out the demons that would try to possess? And Bishop Williams counseled me on that. I called him, I think, literally. I couldn't sleep. I was, I was debating about this with my pregnant wife at the time who just wanted to sleep. She had no interest in entertaining my, my, uh, challenge with that, with that dichotomy, with, with that contradiction. What was a contradiction in my mind? So at one in the morning, I called my pastor. <laughs> at one in the morning, he answered my phone call. And his groggy voice came to light and he began to walk me through that sometimes you have good people that are serving God that sometimes walk a little astray and not willingly, not knowingly. And, and sometimes preachers, including myself, when I'm sharing God's word, I can speak out of ignorance and sometimes I can misspeak. Sometimes I can um, mistakenly uh, use the word, uh, use the name Moses when I met Abraham and give an entire message about Abraham, but I use Moses' name in the wrong context. I've done that before with Jonah and Noah, where I've given a message or something that I meant to say about Jonah, but I use the name Noah. And so anybody listening to me would have thought that I was teaching a new heresy from a story about uh, Jonah or Noah or Moses or Abraham that you know I could have gotten from the Quran or the Hadith. So when we are listening to people that God has been speaking to and they've been meditating on God's word, it is important that we try to uh, absorb the message that God has for us in that time. And if we come to areas that might be a slight contradiction or a slight challenge, then we should have grace and be excited that we know the difference that God has shown us the difference without the feeling the need to be kind of like a grammar nopsy in the, in the spiritual world, right? Trying to correct every little detail. I've been in that situation where, and I, I've gotten so many hours of podcast material that probably has ton, tons of biblically incorrect information where people could go through, scour it for all kinds of theologically incorrect material that if they confronted me with it, I would have to say, oh, yes, sorry, I wrongly spoke in that area. But I can remember the words of Bishop Anthony Williams when he said to me this, sometimes, brother, because when I, when I was exhausted, when I came to the very end of it and said, I still can't bring these two together, Bishop Williams said this, and it's a, it's a phrase that I will never forget. He said, sometimes, brother, you have to eat the meat and spit out the bones. That has stayed with me my entire life. 
And it has allowed me to take amazing messages from individuals and, and apply them in my life without the entire message itself being theologically sound. And I know that there's a lot of people that are listening to this that are challenged with that idea, might be challenged with that idea, and might find it to be unholy. The only thing that I would ask is please have grace as you listen to this podcast. Because when he began to speak, he said something that smacked me right in the face. He said, if you are not called into ministry, then don't start. Do not start in ministry if you are not called. Because to be called. And, and so when I heard this, I thought, what a message to be sharing with so many people in this conference that are potential carriers of the message in some of the darkest regions of the world that might be waiting to have a special event in their life take place to tell them that they are called. If I could have just put pause on his sermon and, and shared with the younger people, I would have shared with them that you have been called. That special event was the moment that you became a believer. That special calling that you might be waiting for has been written in black and white. It's in the Bible. You have the Bible in your hands and have been giving a clear command, the great commission by Christ. And you get in where you fit in. And if you don't fit, then you keep moving. There may be a lot of people that will disagree with that. And it has to do with your idea of ministry. You see, he is a full-time evangelist slash prophet. He referred to himself as a prophet. And so he spent actually one entire service uh, prophesying over families and individuals. And so if you see yourself, in, when, you, when you use the term ministry as being full-time ministry, i.e. that you make a salary specifically from the ministry that you're doing, then I would like to submit to you that possibly you don't understand the word ministry because the word ministry is to minister to others. I'm going to break it down. I'm not going to give you like the Greek. I'm not going to give a, a background kind of breakdown of the word ministry. But in, in the, the circles that I travel in with Back to Jerusalem, and so I'm going to be speaking here of Back to Jerusalem theology, which I believe matches up pretty close to the Book of Acts type of ministry. You might disagree with that, and that's okay. But I'm just going to share kind of my exposure to the Chinese church has taught me a different definition for ministry because many of the missionaries that I work with that are preaching and, and planting house churches and bringing people to Christ and risking their lives every day have uh, what I believe to be a full-time ministry. But that does not mean they are not working a secular job. All of the people that I work together with on the field are working secular jobs. I help them start businesses and those businesses take care of them and their families' physical needs. And then that they use that, that job as a vehicle to share the good news with the people that are around them. 
Back to Jerusalem is supported by so many individuals and people around the world that are in full-time ministry, but they don't get a salary from their ministry. They do not carry the title of prophet, evangelist, pastor, minister, missionary. They carry the title of CEO, CFO, driver, manager, consultant. But they are more than their titles. God has called them to operate in the final call that we have all been given to complete the Great Commission, whether that is in your family, in your neighborhood, in your nation, or to the world. So I was so saddened when I heard him say exactly this. This is word for word. I wrote it down immediately as he said it. He said, if you are not called into ministry, don't start. And he said it with boldness and conviction. And I was saddened. And then he went on to say how he grew up in the roughest area of New York City. How he was a minority in New York City in one of the roughest neighborhoods. He did not say what the neighborhood was. He just said that he was in one of the roughest neighborhoods where people were being shot and killed on a regular basis in, in his neighborhood. And people were being attacked. But that he walked in the grace of God. And because he was in the grace of God... And he has grace in his ministry. He knows that he doesn't have anything to fear. And to that I say amen. And then he went further. He said, if you have the grace of God and your calling to ministry is a true ministry, you don't have to fear because God will protect you. You see, I was not, this is him speaking, I was not, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, I was not harmed when I was in New York City because I walked in the grace of God. I, I, I had a, he didn't say these words, but I'm going to try to paraphrase in a way that I understood them. He said that he walked in kind of this bubble of protection, that though there were, there were violent activities taking place around him at all times, he was never harmed. He was never harmed because he walked in the grace of God. And then, for his Bible scripture, he pointed us to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 9. And, he, and this was the main Bible verse that he was looking at. And he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. And so that was the main focus. My sadness was that he did not look only a couple verses earlier where Paul clearly writes to the church in Corinth. Verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul starts off that verse. It's, it's not isolated by itself. He talks about 
a challenge, a, 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 an ailment. It's not, there's not details given, but it is given that he pleaded with God three times. He pleaded, begged God, remove this from me. Paul's grace was found in his suffering. (laughs) There's some theology for you. How do you explain that? I don't know. I I don't have the answers, but I, I do see it on a regular basis where the Chinese church that I am serving together with is able to stand close to God in the midst of their persecution, and dare I say, closer to God because of their persecution. They found grace in the midst of their persecution. So I would challenge you as the listener to be careful about what we think about the grace of God and its protection. Because in a Western mindset, we can very easily feel that protection can mean freedom from persecution. And if that is your idea, if your idea, and I want to end with this, if your idea of God's grace being upon you, then you have a problem with the story of Stephen. If, if you have an idea, let me, let me put that clear. Maybe that wasn't as clear as I wanted it to be. If you have an idea that God's grace being up on you protects you from having hardship, if it protects you from being harmed, if it protects you from physical ailments, if it protects you from natural disasters, if it protects you from being physically attacked, if it protects you from being jailed and put in jail, if it protects you from being persecuted in the, when you are doing right and you are being persecuted as if you are doing wrong and you've been wrongly accused, if your idea of grace protects you from those things, then you have a a problem with the grace that is identified in the Bible. Because the grace that is identified in the Bible is often found in the darkest hours with those that are committed to Christ, that find themselves in jail, that find themselves being attacked, that find themselves being wrongfully accused, that find themselves without favor with the authorities. If your idea of grace removes you from being attacked by the enemy, then you might have a different definition than at least what I read in the Bible. And I'm not saying that what I am reading in the Bible is the right version of what is to be read. I'm just saying that so far, my understanding of seeing Jesus persecuted, the disciples that followed after him, persecuted and the promise that Jesus gave of persecution. I mean, that's even the the biggest thing is that Jesus promised his disciples and those that would come following after him that they would suffer persecution. Matthew chapter 24, that we would be persecuted for his name's sake. But those that endure to the end shall be saved. Endure. How can you endure? Through grace. That the grace of God removes you from your circumstances. It doesn't, it doesn't keep 
you from being in those circumstances, but it gives you a different reality while you're in the middle of them. To be with Chinese who thank God when they've been arrested that they have been counted worthy of being persecuted brings me to tears just to think about it. To be together with believers in Iran who find it amazing that they were counted worthy enough to be persecuted by the government for the love of God. I find humbling. Let me say this. I will be the first to pray for protection. I will be the first to pray for favor. I will be the first to pray for the removal of a disease. I will be the first to plead three times for the removal of a thorn in the flesh. But if it is not, I pray that the grace of God will help me endure to the end. My God has the power to remove us from this burning furnace. But if he chooses not to, Nebuchadnezzar, please know that we will not bow. I love that message from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Finally, if you believe that ministry removes obstacles, that if you face opposition in ministry, it must mean that you have not been called. Therefore, you should not have started. I would ask you to watch at least a few videos within the Chasing Revival series where person after person Disciple after disciple, minister after minister, pastor after pastor. Started ministry and had nothing, nothing but opposition. If a, the true, true mark of ministry is lack of opposition and challenges, then you should not follow the ministry of the Apostle Paul. A man who spent time shipwrecked, in prison, in and out, completely um, rejected by the crowds in Ephesus. When I stood there in the Colosseum thinking about the persecution that he went through in Ephesus. When I stood in his prison cell in Rome and tried to imagine what his final thoughts <clears throat> must have been like before he walked out to be beheaded in front of a crowd in Rome. The grace of God was sufficient and the calling that God gave him did not mean he would not face opposition. In fact, he would have faced much less opposition and had a much more comfortable life had he remained a Jew in the Sanhedrin. I posted a meme today comes from John Wesley's diary. And I want to end by reading this. Sunday morning, May 5th, preached at St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday, p.m., May 5th, preached at St. John's, deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday, a.m., May 12th, preached at St. Jude's, can't go back there either. Sunday, p.m., May 12th, preached at St. George's, kicked out again. 
Sunday a.m., May 19th, preached at St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday p.m., May 19th, preached on the street, kicked off the street. Sunday a.m., May 26th, preached in meadows, chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. Sunday a.m., June 2nd, preached out the edge of town, kicked off of the highway. Sunday p.m., June 2nd, afternoon service, preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came. (laughs) John Wesley. May we have a ministry led by God. Full of grace and his mercy that will help us endure to the end. Thank you so much for listening to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I pray that this podcast was a special blessing for you. And that it can be an encouraging that if you have read your Bible and you have become a Christian, you have been called into ministry. Even if that means talking to a broken phone and doing a podcast. Thank you so much for downloading this Back to Jerusalem podcast and God bless.